0: Welcome to this special edition of the Good Morning April podcast. Today we dive into one of the signals, signal number 10, the social network over social media. In front of me is uh, Jeppe Wielstrup-Handskorn. Nice to meet you again. Hi, Erik. It's not the first time that you and I meet. Nope. You present yourself as the uh, CEO of InnoVisor, a boutique advisory within change analytics and organizational network analysis. What is InnoVisor and what do you do? So in Intervisor, we help leaders, I call them bold leaders,
1: change successfully. That is our aim. But when we do that, we have a view of the world as um, it consists of people, people connecting to people, people that shape each other's perceptions and emotions based on their relationships or the relationships they don't have. So rather than look at structures and boxes, etc., in the society or in an organization, we look at how people actually influence each other and connect to each other or sympathize with each other, give each other energy or reach out to each other for innovation or whatever it is. That's our view. We see our people as connections. We see people as networks. When we work across organizations, we see it as ecosystems. It's all of those buzzwords basically that we are looking at, but we actually visualize them, analyze them, and then understand how you actually
0: act together with those networks to achieve success. So if we open up that lid, how do you look at people? How do you analyze that? What kind of framework and toolings? do? You, is it like a survey where you ask people who you work with? How do you do that? Yeah, that could be one too. But I mean, we
1: employ a, a, a range of tools to actually in, identify. But in the most simple way, it could be the question, who gives you energy in your daily work life? So if you ask people who gives you energy in your daily work life, then every single person you ask, they will come up with a different answer mm-hmm. based on their own views of the world. I sometimes compare this with schoolyard dynamics. So if you remember when you were at school and you went out to the schoolyard, right? Who would you do the rounds with or who would you play football with in the schoolyard or whatever? It would all be based on who do you actually sympathize with and like. And to be honest, that is the way work happens as well. That's the way our society connects as well. It's all based on the
0: same simple dynamics that we actually learned in the schoolyard those many years ago. So you get the data and you create network drawings and you analyze those. Who calls you and what kind of problems do they want you to solve? So the people that
1: call us, they call from all over the world. They always have a complex change they don't know what to do with. And they have the realization that if they want to succeed with this, they need to make sure they get the people on board. I'm normally saying done with and done by beats done to when, uh, in terms of change. And what does that mean? Well, done with is that you do it together with the employees or with the people. Inclusion. That is inclusion. Done by is actually that you empower them to do the stuff rather than you dictate it. Done to is the other way. That is where you dictate it, right? And that just doesn't
0: lead to success. So the signal that we're diving into here today, yep, is that I can see that social networks in organizations over the past years have become more and more focused on smaller groups and with longer distance between people. And those social networks are more and more carried by relationships rather than specific content and information. So it's smaller groups and it's based on relationships. Do you see the same trend? We certainly do that. I mean, when we look at the data that we have collected
1: over the years, right, and we see what happened, especially when the pandemic hit, right? So what we saw was that people suddenly tried together in smaller and smaller groups of people that people knew. So you, you kind of stuck together with the people that you already knew, you already had a relationship with, a strong relationship with. Whereas the people in the periphery, the people that you might have met at the water cooler or at the coffee machine, suddenly you didn't see them right and you disconnected from them and and that has certainly been a trend where you see less and less cross organizational connections happen inside organizations and much more powerful relationships inside teams i'm reminded of a case uh, not a case but i was visiting one of our uh, clients in houston texas right at the same day where they were opening up reopening up their offices Uh, and i think that was probably november must have been november 2021 so I was out there visiting them and suddenly uh, I was walking around with the, the head of communications for the, the organization and she started to say, oh, hi, we haven't talked for two years to people. And she said that again and again and again yeah. and she hugged people and all of that stuff, right? Because she hadn't seen them, even though they were close connections of her, they were out of sight and out of mind. So she, she had not connected to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very telling of what had happened to, to networks as well. Suddenly, we were only connecting to the ones that we actually knew well, and that we had strong relationships to.
0: Really interesting. University of Liverpool, they made a paper in 2005, where they investigated the size of these tribes that you talked about. And they came out with, like, typically the lower group size is 3 to 5, or you can say 5. The next group size will be 15, and then 50. Is that a pattern that you can recognize? We can
1: replicate those numbers. (laughs) Not the 3 to 5, but the 15, the 50, and then the next one for us is the 150. We can totally replicate those numbers. It's
0: a Dunbar's number.
1: Exactly. And then it's exactly the same numbers we see. And every single time an organization grows and it gets to the number of 15, for example, then suddenly you see how it's under pressure. And then it starts to dissolve into smaller groupings, right? It is the exact same we see every
0: single time. That specific paper is exactly written or co-written by Dunbar. Okay, there you go.
1: So, no, no, I think I've actually made an article at a certain point of time where I said Dunbar is not a thing that, that we cannot reproduce. We actually see that in all organizations.
0: Five, 15, 50, 150. Five, I don't know about. The 15 and the 50, I can confirm. So when you say they are under pressure, what kind of pressure is it and what does it result in?
1: Yes. Yeah, so what happens is that, again, if we look back to the corona, here, the, the two things happen. So the first thing happened is that if you only work together with people you know well, that puts your innovation under pressure. Suddenly, you don't get the friction that you get from talking to people you don't know mm-hmm. as well. I and mean, you mentioned something in a, in one of the, the signals here, and I don't remember which one it was. But if you don't have that friction by talking to people that are not necessarily just like you, innovation starts to struggle.
0: Yeah, The uh, signal that you mentioned is signal number six, attention to tension.
1: Exactly. Because you need that tension, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you get that tension? How do you facilitate the tension so it actually works for you, not against you? Because you can also get two people into a room, they truly dislike each other and you don't get anything positive out of it. That's not good, right? But you need to get people into the room that, in a psychological safe environment, can actually talk about what is happening and how they see the world because that's where the good ideas come up so so that has been a suffering over the last years then the other major thing that I'm actually seeing is something that really worries me a lot and that is as people have kind of focused more and more on the strong networks, we have seen people dropping out of the network. So so I have a societal issue or see a societal issue coming from loneliness. Mm-hmm. And and what does that mean? Well, prior to the pandemic, we had about 5% of the people in the organization that were not included in the social chit-chat, that were not reached out to for help and advice, that were not again and again and again, right? So about 5%. That number is now around 25 to 26%. What does that mean? That results in loneliness. So if nobody reaches out to you, right, that's not a nice place to be. And I do think that that is the pandemic. And I do think that that's something that leaders actually have to take very, very seriously as we look into the future.
0: And how, how would you do that? How would you spot those people? Yeah, so that's
1: our analysis, right? You can see, so who is it that are not pointed to? Who is it that people are not uh, getting in touch with?
0: Mm. That's really what it is. Okay. So, like, coming to that, it's a numbers game to, to spotting those who are yeah. least connected to and then reach out to them.
1: Yeah, and then, yes, then you can say, well, so now if we know that is a thing, right, how does that change your uh, internal processes? What does that mean for how you connect to your people? How do you onboard new people or how do you make sure you have a, a constant connection to people that are sitting in the periphery, not only to your strong connections? So, again, if we just take the equivalent of the pandemic, right? What did I do personally? Well, I sat down and I thought about, okay, so who is it that I know that might be disconnected from others, right? It was my stepmom. My my dad died and my stepmom was sitting alone, so I made sure to call her again and again and again, right? Just because I, f- I, I knew she would be lonely. And you have those people in your networks, right, where you intuitively,
0: you know that they are disconnected. When you look at the archetypes of of people who work well in networks, there are at least two archetypes. I call them bridges and yeah. bonders. So which will be the best to actually make sure that the fabric of the organization works well? Oh, no, that's a good question. It actually depends on the fabric
1: of the organization who you want to work with. Because in most organizations, again, due to the pandemic, you have now fragmented networks. The strong connections have kind of gotten together in, in small tribes. But then you have several small tribes with So how do you work with that? I would actually, rather than work with the bridges, I think you called them, I would work with the bundles. I would bring them together into a a room like this, and then I would tell them, okay, we have this task that we need to solve. You now need to solve this together. You have two months because I want them to build connections to each other. And the only way they can build connections to each other is by working on something meaningful, meaningful to them but also in a way so they can create sympathy for each other.
0: Hmm. How do you create sympathy online in a virtual network? You can facilitate that.
1: That's uh, where you, uh, you take the toolbox of the liberating structures. Ah, good word. To, to, uh, to Yeah, that's the word, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we've, we've seen some really, really good facilitation around liberating structures where you really make sure that you actually open up and share information about yourself in a safe environment, and, and that works. But you have to be disciplined about it. It doesn't really happen just by one session, right? You have to keep on doing it over time. And I think that's the thing that most people forget. If you do not do this on a consistent
0: manner, it doesn't happen. There are many of the conversations that we have right now, that that ties into several of the other signals. When I presented the signal radar to you just before we started our chat, you pointed directly to number one. Oh, hybrid work is a constant. I can absolutely speak to this. It it seems like what we're talking about now has a direct correlation to that. You can look at, okay, so what is the network connectivity if
1: you have that on the like a Y scale, right? And then on the X scale, you look at, okay, so how many days are people in the office? We have that data and of course physically in the office. Yes, we look at that data, right? And then we look at, okay, but how does that impact? For example, performance or engagement or whatever, because the decision is not about the number of days in the office. It should be a qualified decision where you look at pros and cons of, for example, three days in the office. Okay, three days in the office, what does that give us as a company? Does that give us highly engaged employees? Does it give us the customer centricity that we want? Does it give the performance that we want? And there's no one size fits all for this. And what we see, again, if you go back to the numbers with the 15 and the 50 and the 150, is that it's actually at that level you need to take take those decisions. It's not at the organizational level. So if you have a big pharma company with 50,000 people, you cannot make one decision on hybrid work. You need to adjust it
0: down at the level of the 150 or the 50. And what correlation have you seen between, as you say, on the x-axis, the number of days in the office and... However you define productivity or relationship building, what what correlation or causality is there? I I have to say we see different results,
1: right? We are just working with one case right now, which is a company from uh, continental Europe, 1,500 people. We split it up by locations, but we also split it up by functions. And we see depending on what type of work they have, the answer differs. So in some cases, being totally remote is actually good for engagement. And actually uh, creates the same kind of productivity. It does not make you as integrated into the networks, but if your productivity is high, then that that is okay, I guess. In other cases, we can see that okay, if you are only working uh, or if you are working from the office three days, that's where your network connectivity peaks, and then you can say, so how can it be that it's not five days where your network connectivity peaks? I think it has to do with intentionality. So if you come to the office and you have an intention, that goes back to one of the other signals you had, which is the boss's back. So there is a reason why you're meeting. You're meeting because you have certain things you have to discuss. So there's an intention, right? Then you can create really strong networks by being in the office two to three days per week. And we can see in the same research, if you're in the office five days per week, you're less intentional and you
0: become less integrated into the networks. So intentionality is a great word, meaningfulness, understanding why you do stuff, why you make agreements on how you work and when you work. And, and what value it actually delivers to the organization. Why are we
1: meeting here, right? I'm always saying to my people, I don't want you to sit in the office and just staring at the screen. Why would I ever ask you to do that? I only want you to be in the office when there is a need for it. So for example, today when we meet here, uh, well, we have analysis going on. We had some meetings with some clients. And uh, the entire afternoon here, we have a certain uh, research project that we will uh, be discussing.
0: So there's a reason why we're meeting. How often do you think you need to change that kind of reasoning, the the intentionality? does that Does that evolve over time? I think it's important to define principles
1: for when is it that we will meet and then leave the rest to the people to decide. Because again, we also have people that prefer to be in the office, and that's fine with me as long as we meet for the things that are really necessary. So if you have principles saying that, okay, I mean, I can tell you in our case, we say we meet for things when we uh, kick off new projects. I do believe that it's beneficial if we look each other into the eyes and say, okay, who does what and by when and, and so forth. So that's one thing. The other thing is complex problem solving. So we have a really, really complex problem. Could be hybrid work. What do we do, right? I need people in front of the whiteboard. I need that creativity, I need that friction where we can challenge each other. So those two things are pretty normal and then we meet when we have new people joining. So for the onboarding, the face-to-face is actually really good for onboarding, making sure we have the social chit-chat and you can crack a few jokes and you can eat lunch together and and whatever that cannot be replaced. And then the fourth thing is the social time. I mean, we have brought social time into the work time. So making sure having fun building connections and all of that, that's part of the work time. It's not something that happens after work on a Friday. And I, I do think that kind of intentionality, if you can kind of communicate that, then everybody can understand it.
0: Both INSEAD and Microsoft have documented that people don't go to work to work. They go to work for two other things, to learn or to socialize. Do you see that also in your analysis? I
1: don't think I have data to confirm that they go to work for learning or socializing. We do run something which we call a team tracker. So now we already talked about that. We look at units like 150 as drivers of uh, of performance. In, in those cases here, we've been looking at the well-being, which is probably the learning and the socializing uh, element of what you're talking about, the well-being of people and the connectivity of people and how that actually works together. The fun thing here is that too much connectivity is actually harming your well-being. That stresses you.
0: Too much connectivity is harming your well-being. Right? Okay.
1: Yes. That stresses you. You because you have. I mean, you have to have your antennas out, and you never get the time really to sit down and think and reflect on on what is happening and and actually do your job. And I think that might actually have been an issue for us in the old days when we were all in the office. We had too much connectivity too much noise going on around us, right? We all had to go to the canteen all the time and and, and chit-chat, et cetera. So I think what we're seeing is that you need a certain level of connectivity and the certain level of connectivity is good for your well-being. If you have too much connectivity, it actually makes your well-being go down. And in the same way, if you do not have any connectivity, that's what the loneliness ways we are talking about, if you have no uh, connectivity at all, your well-being is also hurt. So there is a point somewhere in between where you get the most out of your people, where you have the highest performance. And, and we see that, especially, like I said, at team levels. And when I say team, is up to 150. It's not the entire uh, corporate organization with 50,000 people.
0: Looking to one of the other signals, signal number five is about new ways of working, happening in pockets. I think it's a confirmation of that size really matters. Yeah. And you could even say that small is good, but but limited. Is good understanding the reach of yeah. what you do and how many people that you connect with uh, on a regular basis
1: yeah and you can and then uh, you know as well as i do that growth is is very popular right but there's an impact of growth that suddenly creates uh, bureaucracy and and a lot of other things right so uh, I, th- I think it's, it's good advice to think about that when you grow your organization if you really need to
0: grow or if you can organize in a different way speaking of advice This signal, number 10 here, we have placed it as a currently a weak signal. How would you or what advice would you give to a business leader listening in? How should they keep an eye on this signal so that they can embrace themselves for it? I think business leaders today,
1: they need to realize that
0: if if they need to
1: listen to what is going on in organizations, they need to create social networks for themselves. So I'm sometimes mentioning this uh, really, really brilliant case that we have worked with. It's a great company that suffered from lack of networks between the top leaders and the frontline. When you do not have connections between the top leaders and the frontline, then suddenly there there is certain information that is not rolling back to you. In this case, this uh, company, they totally missed out on a business opportunity that was evident if you looked in the Asian market. The signal, uh, to use one of your words, right, was not getting back to the top leaders that could actually take decisions on changing their manufacturing streams. So because of that, they lost out on on, and that's that's the stories told by the CEO billions of dollars. That's of course not good. He c- could not accept that for the future, right? So he said, okay, I need to get, I need to create connections from the top to all the different layers in the organization. How can I make sure that I have some kind of conversation going on with people where I can listen. And this is not about him dictating anything. It's about listening to people, right? Where I can listen and listen and listen so I can hear what is going on. So he created those networks. Basically, his org chart was changed into a circle with him in the center and all the front lines where the customers were, right, were at the periphery of the circle. And then he he was drawing like a, a sledge into the circle and said, okay, I need to get in contact with each layer here. And he created those networks of trusted people, the voices of the company that he could talk to. What does that require? That requires him to have some really trustful conversations with them. And it does take discipline. It does take time to build that. But because of that, he suddenly knew what was going on at the front line. And he could suddenly bring that uh, back to the people that needed to change their manufacturing uh, structures. When he did that, the leaders replicated it. So it suddenly became the way of making sure information floated around the organization by treating the networks as the communication channel and not using the traditional top-down cascading mechanisms that you have probably
0: seen. Many times. <laughs> Many times. Yes. I think what you are referring to there also has been called the iceberg of ignorance. Yeah, that is at least part of it. But That's the percentage of not knowing
1: it. I mean, what, what we've also done here in the past year is we've been looking at some research here. Why is it that top-down doesn't work? And you can say, what happens? So if you're sitting at the top, every single time you have a layer, right? In a, in a very hierarchical organization, you have the maximum number of people that can actually block your message. Mm-hmm. You empower the maximum number of people to block your message. Because every single time you go to a layer, there's a person that needs to decide, I will convey this message further on in the hierarchy, right? So that's one thing. You have maximum number of people block a. Uh, that you're empowered to block it. The second thing is, okay, if they do not block it, they might change it. And we can see that when you get two, three layers down in an organization, right, the message coming from the top has just changed. This is like the Chinese whispering game.
0: I can, I can imagine that,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah but that, that, that's the way it is. And, and it's, it's the same thing every single time. But that's one thing. The other thing is, okay, so what about those signals coming from the bottom of the pyramid, right, from the front line? It's actually the same thing because they have things they want to tell to people, But it gets blocked because the leader doesn't think this is actually something that they want to convey further up. So again, you have the maximum number of people that can block your message just because of the hierarchy or divert your message. So it's the same dynamic happening from top and from bottom. And it just impacts, I mean, all the information streams that you have in an organization. And it's, it's crazy. And you can see that, I mean,
0: two, three layers, then it has already changed or stopped. I can imagine it going both ways and I can actually see it as you replicated it's not only the bottom-up iceberg of ignorance it's both both ways ways. absolutely it's both Both ways. ways yes